Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Laura Adams. She's a personal finance expert on many different topics. Welcome to the show, Laura. Jordan, thank you so much. Let's start. We're going to talk about many different topics, but let's start with insurance a little bit. Uh, particularly auto insurance. Now, a lot of kids have graduated from high school and college. They're going to be out driving. Uh, You have some news on how people can get uh, decent rates on auto insurance. People think of it as being extremely expensive if you have a teenager or anybody under age 25. How can you help those people? Yeah, it is expensive. Unfortunately, young people are statistically more likely to get into accidents, particularly young men. So unfortunately, they can cost mom and dad double or triple the amount when they get added to the plan. Um, and, And that takes a lot of families by surprise. It does depend on where you live. Some states tend to be more expensive than others. Some states are, are uh, allowed to factor in age when quoting you. Other states are not. So, you know, in general, this is something that parents are going to have to budget, uh, you know, quite aggressively for or maybe make the teen pay for it if they've got uh, teens that are earning a little bit of money on their own this summer. Um, but definitely one way to make sure that you're getting the best rates is you got to compare. Every insurance company is a little different. Many people don't realize that, that, you know, if you get a quote from one company, it, it may not be the same at another company. They're going to evaluate you and your family a little differently, you know, based on their criteria. So that's why I do recommend that folks shop around, maybe even doing that once a year, you know, could really save some money. Um, I work with a site called autoinsurance.org, and that is a tool for comparison. So you just basically put your zip code in, and it's going to give you uh, a lot of different options based on your family size, the number of vehicles you have, where you live. Um, so that's definitely one tip. Uh, also, make sure your your kids are making good grades. If you can qualify for a good student discount, that can save families anywhere like 20, even up to 25% on coverage if their high school kids, college-age kids are making about a B average or better. You do have to submit those grades to the insurance company typically every six months, but it's worth the hassle if it can save you that much. Is it the thinking that if they're uh, getting good grades, they're staying home and studying and not out hot rotting? Is that the idea behind that? It is. You know, there there's not a, you know, a real reason for it other than to say, hey, if kids are making good grades, it's likely that they are responsible um, and, and just kind of giving them, uh, I guess, the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, that is definitely if, if you need another reason to to make good grades, that's one of them. And especially if kids are, are buying their own auto insurance, because it's going to be more expensive if you're buying it on your own as a 16, 17, 18 year old than if you were on mom and dad's plan. Uh, Mom and dad typically have better credit. You know, they've got more uh, vehicles. They've got maybe multiple types of policies bundled together. All of those will give mom and dad favorable rates. So, you know, if kids can be on mom and dad's plan, that's the way to go, um, you know, in terms of comparing a 16-year-old getting their own coverage versus being on a family plan. And yeah, making good grades, it just... It's a signal to the insurance companies that you're responsible with with your schoolwork. That likely means you're responsible behind the wheel as well. Are there other ways that they discriminate? For example, are boys and girls get the same rate or is there a difference between them 
uh, as far as auto insurance rates? Big difference. You know, it, it is pretty interesting that a lot of different types of insurance you cannot discriminate. You know, health insurance comes to mind. You you know can be discriminated a bit based on age. Older uh, people can be charged a, a you know a percentage more than younger people. But with auto insurance, there's all kinds of factors that come into play, which I think you know many people don't realize. So yes, young men, it's kind of like the perfect storm with insurance. They get charged the most, and it comes down to statistics. The statistics show they're getting into more accidents making more claims. So it does depend on your gender, your age, the number of years you've been driving. So let's say you're an older person, but you start driving later, you know, in in midlife, you can also be discriminated against because you haven't been driving that long. Zip code, of course, is huge when it comes to auto rates, living in an area that has, let's say, higher crime rates or higher theft of autos is going to make you pay more credit. That's another one. In most states, uh, you can be, uh, you can have your credit as a factor in your rate. It can't be the only factor that they judge you by, but it can be used to evaluate you in most states. So there are a lot of just demographic factors that tend to surprise people. You can't do much about your, you know, your gender, your age, where you live, or your credit. But, you know, there are other things that you can do. You can look at what's the vehicle you're driving. You know, could you get a vehicle that is less expensive to insure? Driving fewer miles. That's another great way to keep your rate down. Is Bundling. all this considered discriminatory? I mean, it's discriminating against young men people living in certain areas, that's almost kind of redlining. Um, it just seems like it's, it would be, I know it, insurance rates are based on experience, but it seems like you're discriminating for people for being in a particular class or location. Yeah, it's totally legal. Uh, insurance is regulated by the states. And so what states allow the Department of Insurance in each state determines what the insurance companies can do In that state, it says, yes, you can use credit as a factor. Yes, you can use age and gender. Even marital status can be used as a factor. Education level, the type of job you have, all of those things, uh, many people don't realize are all factors in most states in the rate that you pay. And it is completely legal in the auto insurance world. Now, that's different than health insurance. Health insurance, as we mentioned, you you know, you, you have much more legal protection as a consumer. Yep. But with auto insurance, you don't. So, you know, you kind of just have to play by the rules. So, in general, on auto insurance, not just younger drivers, do you recommend having a higher deductible um, than a lower deductible uh, and, and not reporting small accidents to not make your rates go up? Yeah, this is interesting because it does vary depending on where you live. Some states give you a pretty good discount for bumping up that deductible. In other states, like my home state where I am in Florida, there's not much difference. If you increase your deductible, it really doesn't save you that much. So you do need to shop it and compare. And again, using a site like autoinsurance.org, it's free to do. You can put in different deductibles, kind of play around with um, the variables that you're, you're, you're getting quotes for and see what it does to the rate. If it's not moving the rate down, you know, you, you may want to stick with that lower deductible. That's going to help protect your savings. 
But if it does save you money moving from, let's say, a $500 deductible to a $1,000 deductible, you know, if that could save you, uh, let's say, 100 bucks a month, that would be well worth it. Uh, so again, it's going to vary depending on where you live and also the vehicle that you've got. All of your, your factors come into play. But again, the key with saving money with auto insurance is shopping it. And that's really the only way you, you're going to know the bottom line number. In general, what's been going on in the auto insurance business? seems like there's been consolidation, and there's a few large players that pretty much control the market. Is that the case? Yeah, that's true. You know, and it does vary from state to state. You know, like where I am in Florida, State Farm pretty much got out of the home insurance business for a while. They were, you know, dealing with a lot of claims uh, based on storms that are here. Um, so depending on where you are, they're, they're, you're going to have different competition. Uh And, of course, we want more competition as consumers. That helps uh, keep the rates low for us. But in some areas, insurance companies kind of throw up their hands and they say, you know, it's just not going to be profitable for us because there have been all these, you know, hurricanes, storms, hail, whatever it it may be. We've all got uh, different natural disasters to deal with depending on where we live. And they very much affect auto insurance rates. So, you know, looking at what's available, um, you know, you're kind of stuck with whatever insurance companies are doing business where you live. Again, just trying to look at all the options, figuring out, you know, how many how many insurance companies are out there. And in some cases, what's interesting is that the smaller companies, the lesser known companies that are not advertising on TV, they might actually be cheaper um, and they may, may give, you know, very good service as well. So I wouldn't count out the smaller insurers in your area. Yeah. Uh, going to home insurance, uh, home values have been soaring lately with a very, very hot real estate market. Uh, are you concerned that some people uh, are not insuring their homes for enough with the, the rising values? Yeah, that's absolutely a possibility. So you think about what is the worst case scenario? And for most homeowners, it's a fire. It's something that, you know, completely destroys every bit of your home. Do you have enough insurance to rebuild? In some cases, if the value, the construction material value has gone up, like we know it has for lumber and and many different types of construction materials, if that value has gone up, you may not be able to completely rebuild based on the current level of coverage that you have. So this is a really good time to reevaluate that. I recommend people look at their insurance coverage once a year, maybe every January. You just kind of go through everything with your company and, and make sure you're you're uh, as, as covered as you need to be. You don't want to be overinsured, but you don't want to be underinsured either. So yes, as your value has gone up, it's likely that you may need to bump up your dwelling coverage. Again, it's not so much the the market value, the selling value. What you're really concerned about is the replacement value. What would it cost you to build that home again if you had to completely start from scratch? Are there some websites that help people compare home insurance rates just like autoinsurance.org for uh, auto insurance? Yeah, absolutely. So consumers can look at usinsuranceagents.com. That's a great site that really covers everything. So you can look at home, renters, auto, uh, life, business, other types of coverage. So usinsuranceagents.com. You know, again, it's it's a tool for comparing policies based on where you live, the coverage that you need, um, you know, the type of construction you have with your home. Um, they can really narrow down and 
in, in a lot of cases, it's going to definitely benefit you to be a little, maybe perhaps a little bit overinsured with your, your dwelling if you know that, that values in your area are increasing and your construction values are going up. Maybe it's better to be a little ahead of that than behind. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Laura Adams. She is a personal finance expert based in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, the website she was just talking about to compare auto insurance policies is autoinsurance.org. Uh, Laura's website directly is lauradadams.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Laura Adams, a personal finance expert based in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, her website for all of what she does is lauradadams.com. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Thank you. We talked about auto insurance and home insurance. Let's talk briefly about life insurance. So do you feel that most people have enough life insurance or are they underinsured? Oh, most people are definitely underinsured, particularly women. You know, this is an area where a lot of women don't think they need insurance. Maybe they're staying home with kids for a while, a period of, of their life, and they think, oh, well, I'm not earning income, so why do I need life insurance? And the reality is, if you think about the value that you provide your family and, and what would need to be replaced if you were no longer there to take care of your family, doing household duties and, and you know, just childcare in general, it's extremely expensive. How would the you know, the surviving family members cope with that. So I would encourage everyone to revisit their life insurance needs. A lot of folks are getting coverage through work, but it might only be, let's say, one-time salary or two-time salary. 
for a lot of families, that is just not enough. Um, you know, you want to think in terms of some general rules of thumb, you know, eight to 10 times your household income is a good benefit to shoot for. Now, this is going to vary depending on your situation and and the, the needs that your family has, your debt levels, your current savings, a lot of different things. But uh, in most cases, if you've just got coverage through work, it probably isn't enough. And remember, if you leave the job voluntarily or you're terminated, that coverage ends the month that you uh, you leave the the job. So yep. you you're going to need to replace that, and it's better to to be prepared and have that policy in place now versus having to scramble. We've had almost six hundred thousand people die because of COVID. Uh, are a lot of the families left behind uh, suffering financially because the the uh, person who died was not insured adequately? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there is such a low rate of life insurance uh, in this country. It, it's just kind of shocking to me. Um, when you think about the value that you get from, let's say, an inexpensive term life policy, the peace of mind that, that you get from that, that your family has, it's just invaluable to me. Um, and to know that a lot of people are just kind of leaving things to chance is pretty scary. So the bottom line is if you've got children who depend on you, let's say a spouse, a partner, aging parents, um, any family members that really depend on your assets or your income for their well-being, you need life insurance, even a business partner. You know, this is another area where many um, owners are are definitely underinsured or have no insurance for the business. If you've got a partner, maybe a key employee who's doing the majority of work in your company, and if they were no longer around, think about how your business would suffer. So life insurance is a key way you can make sure that your business will, will survive a, a devastating hardship like that. So how do you come down on term versus cash value policies? There are, people often say buy term and invest the difference. Uh, the cash value people say you're building money uh, tax-free for many years. It's a more conservative way to save in effect. Or how do you mix having some term and some cash value policy? Yeah, for most people, I think starting out with a term life policy is probably uh, an easy thing to do. It's affordable. Um, you know, it's going to last you at least you know ten or twenty years, depending on the term you choose. For most people, that's going to work. Uh, but there are many families that need more protection. You know, they may have um, kids with disabilities. They may have situations where. They want that policy to protect their loved ones uh, for a much longer period of time, for their entire life. And so that's why it's called permanent, a permanent policy. Um, So depending on your family needs, having that longer term, having that cash value accumulating may be very valuable. But I wouldn't think of it as, you know, an investment. In most cases, just investing your money is going to be uh, on its own is, is going to be more worthwhile um, than than using a life insurance policy just as an investment. You want to think about it as more of a strategy, a planning strategy for your family and uh, surviving a death, making sure that you do have your, your loved ones in mind. Um, so, you know, I would definitely recommend talking to an, an experienced life, life insurance broker, someone who 
is um, well-versed in understanding the pros and cons of permanent life insurance, it gets complicated. There are a lot of different types of coverages. They do different things. They have different benefits. So you, if you're considering a permanent policy, just, I would say, make sure and get good advice um, because that world can, can get a little complex and you need somebody who can really break it down for you and, and you know, take a look at your life situation and make some wise recommendations. As far as the permanent policies, would you be in favor of traditional whole life or these new uh, universal uh, and, and index universal policies where you're playing the stock market more? Where, where would you come down on those? Yeah, I would definitely go more conservative with the, the whole life. Um, you know, with the variable universal, they are, you know, really it, they're investments. I mean, they are uh, diff- very different than regular insurance because they they truly are um, an investment. So that is something that uh, I would go into cautiously. Um, whole life is definitely, um, you know, m- getting more of a guaranteed return and and looking at guaranteed premiums, those sorts of things. Um, can give you the peace of mind that you're looking for. For most families, that's what life insurance is all about. They're looking for a product that isn't going to make them worried and you know anxious about what's going on with the markets. They're looking for a product that's going to give them stability and peace of mind. Um, so that's more likely to come from uh, something like a whole life product. Another kind of insurance is travel insurance. People are now starting to get out around again and travel much more. Uh, what kind of travel insurance is appropriate and what is overpriced? Yeah, there are so many options these days. There are some great companies out there offering different packages based on what you want. I, you know, have found that travel insurance is very affordable. I have used it multiple times. I've never had to make a claim on a travel policy, but I can tell you it definitely allowed me to enjoy my vacation a little bit more knowing that I had it. I was on a cruise one time with uh, some folks that had an emergency situation. The the wife had um, needed an appendectomy while we were on the cruise. We were in the Caribbean. There was nobody around who could do this operation for her. They got her to the nearest island and she was evacuated home and able to get that operation in the United States. I found I kept in touch with them and found out that they had travel insurance. It was a godsend because they were newlyweds and they did not even have health insurance, but they had travel insurance that included a medical portion and a medical evacuation. She would not have been able to have that operation covered if she had not been on vacation. So it was a little interesting how it all played out. Um, But that's typically the the biggest concern for me. I think your biggest financial risk is getting sick abroad. Your your health insurance is typically not going to cover you abroad. Uh, You're you're not going to get a medical evacuation covered with insurance, nor is Medicare going to cover you abroad unless you've got a Medicare Advantage plan, you know, something a little more specialized. So that's something many people don't realize. And even if you're in the United States, let's say you're going from one state to another, you may be going outside of your health plan's network. So what that means is if you get sick in another state and and seek treatment, you're probably going to have a very large amount of that out of pocket. So these are all situations that travel insurance can help you with. 
And also those inconveniences like losing your luggage, you know, missing a connection, um, all the way up to things like having your trip canceled or interrupted because you need to go back home, let's say for a family emergency or a work emergency. So it, it really covers a broad range of potential problems. And again, the idea is that it's going to give you peace of mind while you're on vacation. Are there some places to shop with this comparison shopping for travel insurance? Yeah, there's all kinds of great sites um, for travel. And, you know, there's um, just a variety of companies. Um, I, you know, I I can't recommend one particular company, but there are really uh, a variety of packages out there. So what you want to first do is think about what are you looking for? Is it just medical or are you looking for a, a bigger package? So something that would cover uh, luggage, uh, interruption, cancellation. There's even some policies that will cover cancellation for any reason. So let's say you buy a big trip and then within 24 hours, you just say, you know what, I'm not feeling well or you know, I don't want to go. I've changed my mind. I don't want to make this trip. Cancel for any reason typically cost a little bit more, but would give you the peace of mind that, you know, let's say COVID is something that rears its ugly head again where you plan to go in six months. You could cancel for any reason. So for a lot of people, um, I think it can give them peace of mind to step out right now when they might be feeling a little uneasy uh, about all of the COVID situations around the world. We're just coming out of the pandemic now. What are some other uh, financial habits that people should be thinking of coming out of the pandemic that they might have forgotten going into it? Yeah, I love this question because for many people, there have been some positives with their finances. I mean, many people have been devastated, obviously, but for many people, they're not eating out. They're not buying a lot of uh, wardrobe. They're thinking more about cooking at home and and shopping more uh, efficiently. So I would love to see people carry some of those savings and and that, you know, frugality post-pandemic if they need to. You know, it could be a great way to help save up money for your emergency fund, maybe contribute a little bit more to your retirement account, or even save up for that vacation that you want to take. Um, So if there have been positive habits, positive financial habits that you have adopted during the pandemic, I would really encourage you to think about what they are and just try to continue them as long as possible. Do you think it's really changed the way people are going to work long term? People are going to be working from home partially or fully uh, the way they might not have in the past? I do. I really do. I think a lot of people have seen that working from home can be productive. It can be good for the company's bottom line. And, you know, they know that maybe they're going to save money by not having to pay for an expensive office uh, down the road. So I, I do think a lot of these work behaviors will continue. And That's also affecting the real estate market. Do you think this is a long-term trend to move out of the cities into the suburbs and exurbs as, as has happened because of the pandemic? And I do think that people will move back into the cities. In fact, in fact, we've already seen some of that, people having a little bit of regret, you know, about leaving the city and they get out into a rural area and they find that, you know, it's not quite what they thought it would be and they're they're feeling like they want to get back to the city. So I think the, the trend will be flexibility, you know, being able to move around. Maybe that means more renting instead of home ownership. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Laura Adams. She's a personal financial planner and expert. Uh, Her website is lauradadams.com. 
We also talked about auto insurance. A website there is autoinsurance.org. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Laura Adams. Her website, lauradadams.com. She's got a lot of information on all kinds of ways to save and make money and improve your personal finances. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Thank you. Well, let's talk about credit. You actually did a book about credit. Uh, what are some ways that people can build credit uh, and, and improve their credit score in ways they may not be familiar with? Yeah, so I've got actually a, a course that's at uh, udemy.com called Build Better Credit. And um, it is really a, a, just an amazing, you know, just body of information there for people. I, I work with a lot of folks who are very new to the concept of credit. You know, young people and maybe people who are coming from other countries that are here and um, really is just starting from scratch. It's difficult for many people. And there's this this sort of um, kind of catch-22 where you've got to have credit to build credit and in order to build credit you have to have credit so the the way to begin for many people is using what's called a secured credit card and this is um a financial tool that you put a small deposit down on and it will report your payment information to the nationwide credit bureaus and so it's kind of like training wheels let's say you're you're sort of building up uh credit uh, slowly over time. 
after, let's say, six months, maybe 12 months of using a secured card, in most cases, that company is going to offer you a regular unsecured card. So you won't need to have a deposit. They'll give you your money back, uh, the deposit you put down, and then you'll be able to use a regular credit card. And so using a regular credit card is one of the easiest, fastest ways to build credit. And a lot of people find that very counterintuitive because they say, well, you know, I I don't want to go into debt in order to build credit. And the reality is you don't have to go into debt. You can use a credit card, pay it off in full every month. Even doing that allows you to build a very rich credit history. You're making charges, maybe even if they're small charges, paying them off in full. That simple act is demonstrating that you are responsible with your money, responsible with credit, and you will build credit over time. That will allow you to qualify for other types of products you may want, maybe a mortgage, you know, a, a car loan, um, personal loan, so building credit is not only great for, for for loans and credit cards, but it's going to cut the amount that you have to pay for certain types of insurance. It's going to also be beneficial if you're looking for a job where they check credit. And in many cases, uh, financial institutions, certain employers will look at your credit history. They can't see everything about you. They can't see your full credit report, but they can see certain features of your credit history. Uh, Utilities, this is another area, you know, getting a cell phone, um, getting utilities for your home or your rental. These are all types of, of transactions that are based on your credit information. So what security deposit will they charge you? Even uh, offers that you're made, are you given like the top tier savings offers or not? All of that depends on your credit. So credit is so foundational to your financial life because it kind of ripples through everything, ripples through your expenses that you've got, the debt levels that you that you've got, the you know the amount of debt that you can take on, the interest rates that you're charged for that debt. Uh, it all comes from your credit. And if you're dealing with poor credit scores, you're simply overpaying. You probably have. Uh, very high rates on credit cards. You may have an auto loan that's uh, too expensive, et cetera. Um, So getting credit up is just kind of a fundamental way to cut your expenses and save money. Then you can put that toward other things that are going to benefit you in the long run, like emergency savings and, and saving for retirement. One particular debt that's growing very fast is student loan debt. I think we're over $1.6 trillion, something like that, and people just borrowing these big tuitions, and last year they didn't even get an uh, in-person experience. What do you recommend for getting into student loan debt to minimize that, and then once you've got it, how to get out of it so it's not hanging over you for like 30 years or so? Yeah, so student loans are... It just, you know, an incredible amount of debt that folks are carrying. And right now they are uh, suspended. Certain federal student loans are suspended through the end of September. Um, if you can afford to continue making payments during the suspension, you definitely should. Um, unless you've got a situation where, let's say you're in a forgiveness program and, and making the payments actually uh, don't get, you know, don't get counted. Uh, so it, you, you don't want to make the payment if you're in a forgiveness program right now. But for the majority of of student loan borrowers, if you can afford to continue making payments during the suspension, that's going to help lower your principal balance. 
And if you can't, you know, certainly use that suspension to your advantage and, and hold off. But I would say for young people who are thinking about college right now and thinking about, you know, what amount of debt should I have, a good rule of thumb is to think about what is the annual salary that you're going to make when you graduate. So let's say you're in nursing school right now or you're thinking about nursing school and borrowing for that. What is that annual salary? And let's say you're in Florida, maybe that beginning salary is, I don't know, maybe $75,000. That would be the maximum that I would recommend you borrow for your four plus years of school. And if that's not enough to get you through school, then you need to come up with other plans. Can you work? Can you qualify for scholarships? Can you get a grant? Um, Can you get a loan maybe from mom and dad or a relative? You know, what other ways can you can you finance that education, um, keeping it to one year salary? Now, we don't all know how much we're going to make when we graduate, but you can look at, at industry trends and, and get an idea. So I think that's a target number that if more people would stick to, they would probably be in a better financial situation when they got out of school. You'll know that you're going to make enough money in order to repay that loan, you know, maybe not in a couple years, but maybe within at least five years versus, you know, hanging on to that loan for, you know, 10 plus years. One of the things people are doing a lot is refinancing student loans, consolidating them from several different federal loans and private loans into one at a lower interest rate. Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, it really does depend. And so with the consolidation on student loans, you're not really gaining anything in terms of interest. You, you end up with an average interest rate of all your loans. And so from an interest rate perspective, you're not saving money. Now, you may end up being able to, um, you know, you're going to have one payment and, and maybe your term um, is longer so that you can have a slightly lower monthly payment. But in a lot of cases, you're also losing benefits. So it just depends on the type of refinancing. If you're talking about a federal refinance, um, you're probably going to be able to maintain all of the federal benefits that come with that. But if you refinance to a private company, you may lose some of those benefits like forgiveness programs, you know, like qualifying for forbearance. Uh, Those types of things may completely vanish if you are going to a private loan. So borrowers need to be really clear about what they're giving up when they either, you know, when they consolidate these loans. And it used to be that you couldn't do that. You couldn't sort of mix and match private and federal loans. Now you can. There are many different lenders that will do that for you. But again, you've got to understand what what's the downside there. Um, and for many people, if you've had financial struggles, you want to maintain as many federal benefits as possible so that you've got flexibility if you come into hard times. You've recommended that people borrow at most one year salary, anticipated salary, but a lot of people have way more than that. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans, particularly if they went to graduate school, medical school, law school, business school. It could literally be hundreds of thousands of, of dollars in loans. What would you recommend for somebody in that circumstance where they've taken on a huge amount in student loan debt? 
Yeah, I mean, you can't can't change the past. What's done is done. Um, I think for most people, um, if there is a way to qualify for a forgiveness program, that's fantastic. That's certainly going to depend on your field. So if you're in, let's say, medicine, you know, you're in maybe um, a government type of position, you may qualify for a forgiveness program if you go and work, let's say, in an underserved area or you work in an underserved hospital. Um, that, you know, those are some options to look into to typically you have the loan forgiven after 10 years. So it just, you know, completely is wiped clean after 10 years. Um, For other folks, you're going to um, have some, some different repayment options. You know, typically leaving it as is, though, is going to be the best way to minimize interest. Once you get into different repayment plans, you may have a longer period to repay, but that means you're also paying more interest over time. So the shorter the period, the better. Um, If you can buckle down and, you know, just really go at it aggressively, for a lot of people, that's, you know, unfortunately not the answer you want to hear, but that's probably going to be the best for them in the long term. If you pay, I think it's, gosh, what, 20 or 25 years after that point, um, the loan is typically forgiven. So, you know, if you're continuing to pay and pay and pay, um, there is a point at which that loan will be forgiven. However, that's a long time, you know, for, for most borrowers. Um, and it, it really can hold you back from doing other things like maybe starting a family or, or buying a home. Um, so I would say talk to your lender, find out what your options are, um, and just try to, to, to shop the options as carefully weighing the pros and cons uh, the best way that you can. I know one of the things we like to talk about is having a positive money mindset, as you call it. How do you do that if you've got $200,000 in student loans? It seems like a huge burden. (laughs) How can mindset overcome difficult situations like that? Yeah, I think, you know, the the key with a lot of these, these financial challenges is really to accept them, you know, uh, understand that you made some decisions in the past. Maybe they were they were not smart. We all make mistakes. Um, but going forward and trying to find solutions proactively rather than kind of bury your head in the sand and, and try to uh, pretend that they don't exist. For many people, what we need to do is channel our thoughts and kind of negative emotions about the money situation into action. So that might look like going and talking to a financial planner might mean, you know, talking to a bankruptcy attorney, if you are really facing some difficult financial situations, um, trying to be more solutions focused than problems focused is going to serve you in the long run. And also just being grateful for what you have. Yeah, I know having a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt is is not ideal, but you know, your life and situation is certainly much easier than many many folks around the globe. So just understanding and remembering that that you are fortunate to have had a great education and hopefully a good career to go along with it. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Laura Adams, a personal finance expert. She also does a podcast called the Money Girl uh, Podcast. Uh, You can find out more about her at her website, lauradadams.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Laura Adams, a financial planner based in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, She also has a podcast called The Money Girl Podcast. Uh, You can find out more at her website, lauradadams.com. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Thank you. So you did a book called The Money Smart Solopreneur, a personal finance system for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and side hustlers. Just give us some of the highlights uh, from that book. Yeah, so this was my most recent book uh, published with Entrepreneur Press at the end of last year. And this came out of a request from many Money Girl listeners who are really wanting to earn more income. They are thinking about starting a business, thinking about maybe delivering groceries on the side or you know, doing something in the sharing economy and had lots of questions like, do I need a license? Do I need to incorporate? Do I need a business bank account, et cetera, et cetera? And I thought, you know, I need to just put together a book that really covers entrepreneurship from A to Z. And so the book is really geared toward the one-person business, the solopreneur, and how they can set up their business and not only grow the business, but also build their financial future. So talking about things like retirement accounts for the self-employed, the types of insurance to consider, and all of the you know legal issues, choosing a, a legal entity and banking. Um, it really covers a lot. So I think it will be very helpful for anyone who is considering side hustle work or wanting to have a small business or maybe somebody that started and they're starting to grow. They're starting to earn some money and they're you know, really not sure how to protect themselves. Um, this book is, is really designed for them. Do you think some people go into business not realizing what's involved in making it successful? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. You know, it's funny, there are a lot of people that kind of just go, they go for it and they start earning money and then all of a sudden it dawns on them, oh, you know, I've, I've got a business, I'm, I'm earning self-employment income and many of those folks get caught off guard with things like taxes and uh, maybe licensing that, that's required locally. And then there are other people who are very deliberate and, and they're not going to do anything business related until they've got all their ducks in a row and they feel like they've kind of... Um, you know, just dotted all the I's and crossed the T's. And 
you know, both of those scenarios can be very debilitating and can can really hurt you. Um, I encourage folks to test their idea, you know, get out there, find out if there's a market, um, see if you can earn income with the idea or the the type of product or service that you're thinking about. Um, You know, so don't don't overthink it. But what I always recommend is once you've earned about $10,000 from your side hustle, your small business, whatever we're, we're calling it, that's really at the point where you need to get a little bit more serious about, do I need a legal entity? Do I need a, a business bank account? You know, kind of trying to protect yourself. But until you've got some income you know, don't overthink it. Um, you really just need to get out there and test the idea and make sure that entrepreneurism is for you. You've done a lot of different blogs on different topics. One of them is, should you invest in cryptocurrency? Uh, do you think people should be putting money into Bitcoin and Ethereum and the various other uh, cryptos? Not unless you're prepared to lose it. That's always my answer. And a lot of people are fascinated by cryptocurrency. I'm fascinated by it. I don't own any of it. Um, but it is definitely something that you can think about as a bit of a, let's say, a toy, a toy investment. I wouldn't count on it for your retirement. Um, I, I really would think about it being a very, very small percentage of your portfolio if you're going to you know, be a serious investor in it. It's just too volatile. We're in such you know, the beginning stages, and we don't know what the future is for cryptocurrency. It's probably going to be around, but there's just an incredible amount of volatility there. So I would have folks be very cautious about jumping into that. You know, if you do, just think about it as kind of your gambling money, because it it certainly could increase in value, but you could also lose a lot. Um, So don't rely on it for your long-term financial goals. Are you worried that inflation is picking up significantly and how will that affect uh, investments? Yeah, I you know, I have I'm I'm cautiously feeling that inflation is going to be temporary. I do feel like we're seeing some, you know, isolated situations with um, car values being higher. You know, we do we are seeing some food values go up. And it tends to be very much related to this kind of strange job market that we've got right now where um, there are some folks who are not going back into the workforce. Now, that may change when the uh, unemployment benefits completely run out throughout the United States. Um I, you know, I, I think I'll have a better opinion about that once we do have more folks in the job market and we get back to a, quote, you know, normal economy with uh, more typical salaries and wages. And once that happens, I do think we're going to see inflation kind of level out. It's possible that we might have a little bit of inflation going forward. It's been so low, you know, for so many years um, that, you know, w- you know, what goes down must, must come up and what comes what goes up must come down. I mean, it's it's just likely to have some some movement there um, because it has been so low for so long. Um, but I don't foresee very high inflation, um, at least, you know, not in the short term. You have a blog called How to Make Your Money Work as Hard as You Do. If you keep your money in the bank, you pretty much earn zero these days. How can you have your money earn more for you than what you're getting at the bank these days? Yeah, so it it does come down to 
identifying what the money is for. And a lot of people are afraid to invest. They feel like, oh my gosh, I just want to keep my money safe and secure in the bank and then I won't have to worry about anything. The problem with that strategy is that, you know, talking about inflation, you are, you're guaranteed to lose money, um, even at low rates of inflation, because your bank is not, you know, not going to come anywhere near the rate of inflation. So, so that means you're losing money year after year. So the bottom line is to reach aggressive long-term goals like retirement, most people have to invest. You've got to get higher rates of return. So we need to identify what all of our buckets of money are for. We need some buckets of money that are completely safe in the bank, earning you know nothing or very little for emergencies. We need another bucket that's earning money, um, you know, more aggressively. And then we probably need a third bucket of money that's earning money for absolute long-term growth. And it's going to depend on your age and, and how close to retirement you are. But for most folks, they really are not owning enough stocks. They, they, they are, you know, really not getting as aggressive as they need to be in order to hit some long-term goals like retirement. And I don't want people to, to get to retirement and not have enough money or retire and run out of money. That's what we're trying to avoid. And the key to overcoming that problem is being a little bit more aggressive now, being willing to see a little bit of volatility there, knowing that over the long run, you're going to get some good growth. And, and that's what most of us need in order to retire comfortably. Are you worried about the future of Social Security? And if so, what should people do about it as far as not uh, depending on it? Yeah, I'm not that worried about it because the solution is so simple. You know, it, it's just uh, increasing the, you know, withholding. It's, um, you know, increasing the, the cap that's on um, on our, our withholding on salaries um, and uh, on uh, income for the self-employed. So the solution there is it's very easy. And I, I think... Um, once we get a few years down the road and reevaluate what you know what is the situation with the social security fund is it are we going to run out of money um, then there'll probably need to be some adjustments made and so for most of us what that means is we may see tax rates increase we're going to see you know likely more withholding so you know preparing for that now taking advantage of tax advantaged accounts where you can you know Roth IRAs Roth 401ks um, you know thinking about the fact that tax rates down the road may be higher than they are now um, because we may have to pay for some benefits and things that uh, the Biden administration is is putting into place so a little bit of tax preparation and, and thought now can really pay off are you expecting tax rates to go up in the next year or so? Uh, you know, I don't know about the next year or so, but I, I do think within the next five to 10 years, um, it's likely that they could go up. Um, and, you know, I think if spending continues and we have a lot of investment in national infrastructure, um, you know, there we may end up having to have some of that come from taxpayers. Yes, corporations, you know, may end up uh, getting the, the biggest tax hike. Um, at least that's what's been talked about. Uh, but, it, you know, it's likely that uh, Americans are going to see tax rates uh, increase down the road. So, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. And, you know, that's kind of the way I think. I, I try to take advantage of every tax benefit now um, that I can in order to protect myself from future 
tax increases. So we never know. You know, nobody has a crystal ball. But I think being as prepared as possible for potential tax hikes could pay off. Very good. But we've learned a lot this last hour. My guest has been Laura Adams. She's a personal financial planner based in Vero Beach, Florida. You can find out more about her and all of her work at lauradadams.com. Thanks so much. We've learned a lot, Laura. Thank you. Jordan, thank you for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.